welcome to this week's message from a new church. For more information, or if you'd like to contact us, please visit our website, newchurch.nz. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy this message. Redux simply means bringing back or reviving. So this whole series is looking at what discipleship is in the 21st century in 2022 um, and really making it a big part, like the major thing of what we do um, as a church community. So just a real quick recap. Matthew 28 verse 18 to 20 says, Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. So Jesus made it as simple and as concise as possible. He didn't say that discipleship was gonna be really hard. He, He wanted us to be effective and successful in discipling the world, but and just really gen, gen, generally speaking, have we seen this well in the last 20 years? If anything, church numbers are declining. Um, a lot of people of faith are sort of turning away from commitment and devotion to God and devotion to the body of Christ. And people are getting into real sort of weird and wonderful theological ideas and beliefs these days. So why haven't we seen effective discipleship um, in the last 20 years? And then last week, I sort of gave three opinions that we turned into the positive, but they were maybe we haven't understood biblical discipleship Maybe we have not prioritised discipleship in our churches, and maybe we've not taken individual responsibility for discipleship, and we looked at um, those in detail. But I just want to say, I I know last week was a really challenging message, um, and I I really hope I didn't make people that are doing discipleship well already feel stink, um, because I know that there are so many people in our church family that that you've been doing discipleship behind the scenes for years, and you are so amazing at it. There's, there's Wayne and Claire Garden. They're just going, just doing this as a lifestyle. There's, there's Bernie and Lindsay Vanderholst that um, very, very regularly, you know, no one really sees them do this, but they're, they're supporting people and discipling people, discipling families. Rose and Elton have discipled their hundred kids and their grandkids. Uh, so there, there are a lot of you in our church um, that, that have been doing this well. And I, and I really want to honour you this morning. And I, I hope this doesn't make us feel stink. My prayer is that we are inspired and we are encouraged to take a step up um, as a church family um, and to have 100 kids. No, just kidding. Um, just to <laughs> discipleship well. Um, so last week, again, uh, we just started looking at the qualities of Biblical disciples, passionately committed to Jesus Christ was my first point. Um, Extraordinary love for people was my second. And governed by the authority of God's Word. Um, Most times I preach, I get the notes up on the Bible app. So if you guys are new to uh, Renew Church, you can just go on to the Bible app and look at uh, events or click onto like the three lines, events. And if you've got mobile data on a location, you'll find our church and all the sermon notes are there for you. So real true disciples are those that um, read through that and take notes during my messages or they're taking notes in real with a real pen and paper like Mitch is going to model for us for the rest of his time at Renew Church. (laughs) So those are the three points I gave last week. I just want to continue on for three more, and then we're going to look at how to practically do this as a church. So number four, devoted to community. 
the Acts church, well, the, the, the church that we see in the book of Acts, were really like the first and, and second generation disciples. They were the original ones that Jesus called. And we know that on the day of Pentecost, there was like 120 of them by then. Uh, and then uh, thousands of people got saved. So really, if you want to see what real disciples the, the, the OG disciples look like, the first and generation disciples. So the second generation is just someone who's been discipled by someone else. Just read the book of Acts and you get a real clear picture. And we see beyond any shadow of a doubt that the community, the, the, the disciples in the early church, they were devoted to community. In Acts 2 verses 42, love this verse. You've heard it a hundred times by me. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. They were a devoted community for the reason of discipleship. And so devoted to the apostles' teaching, devoted to good grounding theology. Theology is important because what we believe is shown by how we behave. So we've got to have strong theology and not just weird new stuff, or not that at all, but the stuff that's actually in the Bible and teach that and, and train others in that. Fellowship, which is gathering around Jesus, not just going and playing 10-pin bowling and not even talking about Jesus at all and saying, yeah, we're two or more gathered, uh, Jesus is there. We know that Jesus is with us uh, all the time, but there is an anointing when people gather together because of Jesus. So yeah, go and do stuff and socialise, but because we gather together because of Jesus, it's going to be incredible. Um, sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, making sure Jesus is the central focus of, of all we do. We gather around Jesus. We don't gather around an issue. Uh, which is so important, keeping him the main central focal point of our lives, and to prayer. Um, I'm just really challenged. Now, how do we reboot and reset and make prayer um, amazing for younger generations? And I was thinking during the prayer meeting this morning, now I should write a book about prayer meetings for introverts, uh, because I know that when you get in a, a group and it's like, well, am I expected to pray? This just feels real un, uncomfortable. A lot of people shy away from that, but we don't see the early church shying away from those things. They gather together and they were devoted to these things, which is really, really important. Hebrews 10, 25, let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. So back here, the writer of the Hebrews, obviously they had this challenge with the churches as people decided, man, we don't need to turn up. We don't need to be committed to attend large and small gatherings. He's saying, Jesus is coming back soon. We've got to do this more and more. So I would like to suggest that 2,000 years later, uh, we're, we're closer to the return of Jesus. So if anything, we should be gathering together more and encouraging each other more, not less and less. So devoted to community, that's how disciples live. Um, not just events or not just service teams, it's so much bigger than that. It's a community of believers doing life and journeying together. Number five, living with purpose. Being a mission-minded People, Ephesians 1, verse 11 to 12, and I'm gonna read from the message translation just to balance out the old King James version that we read from last week. So, <laughs> hardly anyone's laughing this morning. I'm, I don't know. I find myself funny, so that's okay. Just, just go along with it and laugh even if you don't think it's funny. Ephesians 1, verse 11, and it says this, and it's amazing. It's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for. 
Think about that. It's so powerful. It's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, He had His eye on us, had designs on us for glorious living, part of the overall purpose He is working out in everything and everyone. It is in Jesus that we find our life purpose. One of the reasons why I think so many people are just struggling with depression in our times is people just simply don't know why they are, why they are alive, why they're on planet Earth, and we know it's in Jesus Christ. And as we find Him and as we start to walk close with Him, he will, as we take steps with Him, we will discover our life purpose, why we are here. And it's all about mission. It really is going and making Disciples, that's why we have churches. We just don't gather together because it's a cool place to be on a Sunday morning. We gather together because we want to be encouraged and challenged and spurred on and ministered to and filled up by the power of God so we can actually go out and be His hands and feet and salt and light in this lost and dying world. Alan Hirsch says this, and I love this quote, it's not so much that the church of God has a mission, as the mission of God has a church. It's like, what? I'll read it again. It's not so much that the church of God has a mission as the mission of God has a church. We gather together to be inspired to go out and do what God has called us to do. I love that. So live with purpose. If you don't know your purpose, just surrender your life to Jesus. It's where it all starts, like we've been singing. All my all. You can have it all, God. Number six, follow in Jesus' footsteps. Now, back in the day when, when Jesus was known as, as rabbi, um, there, were, there were quite a few rabbis and they had a lot of disciples and the disciples were encouraged to walk so closely behind their rabbi that quite often their robes were, were, were covered in the dust of their rabbi because they were, they were walking so close. And that became a, a phrase or a blessing. May you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. Follow in the footsteps of Jesus. And we see that the, the early church did this in 1 Corinthians 11 Verse 1, the Apostle Paul says, You should imitate me as I imitate Christ. Now, he wasn't being uh, audacious or arrogant. He just knew that he, he was a role model and a mentor to people. And he, as much as he could, wanted to live as closely to Jesus and followed in his footsteps. And he says, look, my life is patterned off Jesus, so imitate me, I think so often we think, well, you know, I want to hang out with you, but imitate Jesus. Please don't imitate me because I'm having a shocker at the moment, but I'm still going to Jesus. And no, don't worry about me, but, you know, follow Jesus. Now, there is a responsibility to being a disciple. I remember way back, years and years ago, in the, as, as a youth pastor, so, some person came up to me. You know, it was like, what would Jesus do? Those bracelets that people had on. He was saying, yes, Simon, I, I usually think, what would Simon do? And I thought, whoa, that's a... That's a tall order. You know, don't think that. But actually, yeah, every single one of us, we influence someone else. Whether you like it or understand it or realise it or not, everything we do is influencing people. And, and that's, that's a big responsibility that we need to grab a hold of and, be, and understand. I love this quote. Discipleship is primarily found in the example we give in our own lifestyle. We cannot teach others to live a life of forgiveness 
and at the same time carry around bitterness and resentment in our own lives. We cannot teach others to walk in love, then allow strife to come into our marriages. Our lifestyle serves as evangelism and discipleship. Follow in Jesus' footsteps. 1 Peter verse 1, 15 to 16. But now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say you must be holy because I am holy. It's, it's really, we, we need to understand that and, and be aware of what we post online and what we talk about and what our lifestyle portrays because people are watching. As some people would imagine, like, I wish I had so many followers and so many likes. And it's like, well, the more followers you have just means you've got more responsibility because you're a role model to them. So be careful what you wish for, because I do think we're going to be held accountable and responsible in, to a certain degree of how we've influenced others. Else Jesus would not have said, you know, if you cause a, a weaker brother or sister in Christ to stumble, uh, it'd be better for you to have a lump of concrete around your neck and be thrown into the ocean. The plan. How are we going to do this practically? And it's a journey. We're on a journey as a church, and and we're taking our time and we're praying. And um, as a leadership, I sort of introduced some of these ideas last week. We had a really good good um, get together last Sunday night, and, and I'm absolutely, I know, um, convinced that God is because this is God's heart that He wants us to go and make disciples. He, he said He's going to build His church if we go make disciples. So God is so into this. The Holy Spirit is so for this. He's given us the basic plan. So as we keep praying and as our heart is intentional for this, I really do think He's going to show us some amazing keys. And I've got a few here already. Um, number one, organize the church for discipleship. So often we're really good at organisation, but actually being deliberate and intentional of how we organise. So instead of just organising to have a great church community, let's organise for discipleship because that's our call. That is the great commission. And in my heart, I wrote this in, in my notes and I think it might be on the Bible that, you know, that renewed church um, should be, like this is our call, uh, is to be a disciple-making factory. Uh, and then over last night, I've been thinking about this, I think, no, it's not, factory's not the right word. Community is. We need to be a disciple-making community because factories just roll out product uh, and it's all mechanical and it's, it's an impersonal. And sometimes as a church, we can think, okay, how are we gonna do this and streamline this? And it's gonna be great. And we can do it as fast as possible and we can even do it without being personal and know people. We just put people through a program and it's just gonna be awesome. Uh, we're not a disciple-making factory. Church was never, ever meant to be a factory. We're a community, we're a family. We walk together, we journey together and actually making disciples takes time. I, don't, I think we can, um, like I said, organise for discipleship and, and bring some structure and programmes aren't bad, but let's understand it's, it's people. Jesus came to save people. We're called to go and make disciples of people. So organise the church for discipleship, which means perhaps if we're doing some stuff and we're not seeing disciples, we, we, don't, we understand it's not part of that, then maybe we need to drop some stuff and maybe um, launch some, some new things. So organise the church for discipleship. Number two, make connections. And like I said last week, the, an accurate rendition of that, that phrase, the Great Commission's 
is, is more as you go, make disciples instead of just go and make disciples. So as we go, and we see Jesus pattern this. He journeyed for three years with a whole lot of guys and, and they were so rough around the edges, but he journeyed with them and he discipled them. And as he went, they saw um, incredible um, demonstrations of his power and opportunities. For example, you know, one day they're hanging out and all of a sudden there are a few thousand people and they need uh, to be fed. There's like a food ministry right there. They didn't, Jesus didn't gather together and gather His disciples wholeheartedly around the event of the feeding of the 5,000. His disciples were already there. And, and as they went, they saw that there was a great need, so they, they met needs. Um, they were journeying together. Another day, obviously, there were a lot of people with brokenness and, and healing. As they went, they did this. So it wasn't like, okay, we're gonna have this conference and now we're gonna grab a whole lot of everyone and, and we're gonna do that. No, it's a journey first. We, we, we journey together as we go, we do ministry, which I think is incredible. And it's all about making disciples. Effective discipleship can only come through a personal relationship that is developed on trust and love. That's why one of the char characteristics of discipleship is making connections with other people. Making connections, saying, how's it going? Going out for coffee or a cafe um, after church, let's Let's resurrect the and being inviting someone to your house for lunch and start to journey with people. You know, there are probably people in this church. You've been here for 20 years and you're not, you don't know a, a whole lot of people. Let's just get outside of our social bubbles and, and reach out and, and, and make connections. Discipleship is all about connections. Again, I'm going to roast introverts. I want to write a book about it one day. I think I'm qualified. Like, don't let your shyness be the determining factor of isolating yourself and never making connections. Because Jesus said, go and make disciples. In Simon's version, go and make disciples regardless if you're an introvert or an extrovert. This is our call. God's gonna, uh, in our weakness, He's gonna make us strong. So make connections. Number three, disciple your children. Discipleship begins in the home, Proverbs 22, verse six, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. So the responsibility, there is a responsibility for discipleship on every parent, of, of every caregiver and guardian. This is our call to train and disciple our children. Now, in our modern era, we've got youth pastors and young adults pastors and children's pastors, and they're awesome. We've got incredible Christian schools, but it's not their primary responsibility to make disciples of your children. It's the parents' responsibility. And then we gather around, because I do believe it takes a whole village to raise a child, and we complement what's being taught and trained in the home. That's how we grow a strong generation of kids. So don't, don't think yeah, it's like, okay, this church has got this program. I just don't have to worry about it. No, the responsibility is placed on us strongly as parents. This one thing that we've tried to do most of our, our life with kids is just make a big deal of the, the family meal. And, 
and we don't do it as often as we, we want now. Most times we do, but you know, we're human like everyone else. But making it a, a big deal to gather around the dinner table and phones off and media off and just talk and discuss over a meal. Back in the day when the kids were little, we used to do what's your best part of your day and what's your worst part of the day. And it got everyone talking and they enjoyed it and, and, and we enjoyed it. Now they just don't like that at all. It's dad, that's lame. Come on. We're not like five-year-old anymore. But, but as we get, to get together, we discuss and we talk and, and the conversations that come up, that's effective discipleship. Discipleship through conversation, discussion and relationship. So please, parents, I mean, we live in a time where it's, there's so many things competing for time. Let's just make a big deal of a, of a meal. Uh, most days, if you can, get together and talk with your kids and train them up. Number three, I would say like earlier on, we did the... Um, the devotion thing, and that was awesome. And you know, some families that works really well. Others, um, you know, it's it's organic, and although they don't have much of a structure, they're still talking. So just find what works for you. Make Jesus a big part of your meal. The number four: become spiritual fathers and mothers. First Corinthians four verse fifteen: For though you have countless guides in Christ. You do not have many fathers, for I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So as we get saved, as we become more mature, as we age, you know, God calls us to be spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers. It's interesting how it says there, um, a spiritual father, sorry, for though you have countless guides in Christ. There were so many people thousands of years ago and they wanted to be a great guide and they wanted to be a great teacher and they wanted to impart some cool things that they had learned, but they didn't want to take the responsibility of being a fatherly or a motherly mentor to generations. And I think, again, the the time we live in, it's just amplified this. You just go on to to YouTube and there's probably a, a a billion and one YouTube accounts of people that they've got no relationship with anyone. They're not accountable to anyone, but they want to teach people about Jesus and they want to sort of promote their weird and wonderful idea. They don't want any uh, responsibility of of the discipleship journey. They just want to teach people about stuff. Um, And some of them are pretty good and some of them aren't so good at all. So there are a lot of spiritual guides, but there are not a lot of people that say, yeah, I've got... I'm in part of my life where, in the time and the season where I can be a mentor. I've gone through the Christian life. I've gone through struggles and wins and losses. I've got something to impart. And take that responsibility seriously. A spiritual father nourishes, protects, and upholds. He models right thinking, speaking, and living. He encourages younger men to build their faith, love their wives, and avoid sin. He is a pillar of strength in a world built on sandy ground and he is always ready to point young men to God and help them stay on the right path. Titus 2 verse 3, 4 about spiritual mums. Similarly, teach the older women to live in a way that honours God. They must not slander others or be heavy drinkers. Instead, they should teach others what is good. These older women must train the younger women to love their husbands and their children. Again, in this day and age, we seem to separate the generations and there's not a lot of intergenerational communication and and, and, um, connection going on. Let's be a church that really honours that and makes space for that. I I really do think that's important. And um, so it's like, okay, I want to do this. uh, As an older person, please don't be weird. 
please don't be unattractive. Please don't be one of those people that don't have any filters and just want to demand that you've got to be my disciple now because Simon says, and this is what I'm called to do. Um, God will make these connections. God will make these connections. Um, it's, it's God's for discipleship. He really is. And God will, will place people on your heart. And, and if you go uh, and approach them, and if they say no, don't take that personally. Be a bit more secure in that. And the other way around, because God is speaking to us about this. And He will make connections. We don't have to stress about it, but we do need to step out in faith a little bit. So for spiritual mothers and fathers, be a Gandalf and be a, a Galadriel or be a Mrs. Gandalf. Of, um, I don't know if you guys, uh, Lord of the Rings, I love it. Um, J.R. Tolkien was a strong believer in God. He was a Catholic, so there's a lot of um, Christian themes through it. But Gandalf wasn't the hero of the Lord of the Rings story. You know, Frodo and, and, and the group of guys, he, he was a big part of it. It wasn't about him. So he was there and he was a big part of the story, but he wasn't the hero of the story. So as we get older, sometimes I think we want, you know, we've got the experience now and now's my time to shine and, and maybe it is. But let's understand, let's be the Gandalf in someone else's story of the younger generations. You know, sometimes we roast the younger generations. I know I do it to my kids all the time. But man, I, I wouldn't, have wanted to grow up in a generation where you know media's on tap and everything's right there. It would be so difficult these days. So if anything, the younger generations, they need our help, they need our prayers. We need to be as supportive as we can. We need to lift them up and honour them and champion the young generations of Christians. I expected an applause because that's like, that's a good point. Number five, last point. Seek out discipleship yourself. The responsibility for being discipled is on me and on you. When we get to that, that amazing day where we stand before God and, like, um, and, and maybe we've had a shocker um, and it's like, oh God, sorry, Jesus, it's like, you know, this person over here didn't disciple me. Um, like, that's not going to cut it, I don't think, uh, on Judgment Day. No, we have to take responsibility for our lives. And there is ample, more than ample opportunities to be discipled. Absolutely. We've just got to be willing and be open and, and seek out discipleship. The responsibility for being discipled is our own. And no matter how old we are, I absolutely think that we still need to be discipled, no matter how old we are. And we still need to disciple others, regardless of our season in life. We all have blind spots. We absolutely need others to be able to speak into our lives. What we do is we want to isolate ourselves a lot of the time, and we don't want to allow people to bring a word of correction. So we do our own thing, and we just mess it up all the time. It's like being a golf coach. Uh, it's like, I'm pretty bad at golf. Um, but if I was to hire a golf coach, uh, why? Because I don't actually see what I look like when I swing a club. And like, I'm, I'm pretty good at golf, like one out of five goes, <laughs> uh, which isn't pretty good at golf um, at all. Um, but if I was to hire a golf teacher, first of all, I'm invested into that coach and trainer because I'm paying him. But he knows that he's got the permission to instruct me and correct me in my golf swing. So he'll say, Simon, you need, to, you need to do this a little bit. And he would sort of move me around. And this is, if you want to play better golf, if you want to be more successful in golf, you just, just this is what you need to do. You need to adjust this part of your game. You know, discipleship is exactly like that. We maybe not, we, we don't pay people to disciple us, but we invite people into our lives and we know the absolute value of a, of a father or a mother in the faith. And they can see things that we can't see 
Because we don't see ourselves from the outside. And they'll say, Simon, if you wanna be effective in making disciples, if you wanna be victorious in your Christian life, you're gonna probably need a little bit of adjustment in this place. And because I've welcomed that relationship, I take what that person said on board and I adjust my life. I I am disciplined in that area. And and, and then honestly, there's, there's amazing fruit that comes from that. Seek out discipleship yourself. Proverbs 18.1, it says, whoever isolates himself, seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. Proverbs 10.17 says, whoever heeds instruction is on the path of life, but he who rejects reproof leads others astray. See, if, if we aren't in this incredible relationship of discipleship, We're always going to be influencing people, but if we shun discipleship, if we shun correction from our lives, we are going to lead others astray, the Bible says. It is a big deal. So usually what happens is someone, you know, maybe you just don't have passport into their life, and then they just make a really bad decision. And and we've watched people do this, um, and then everything turns to custard, and then they go to you and say, please, we just need some prayer. This has all happened. And it's like, I feel like, I don't feel like slapping them, but sometimes I, it's like, come on. It's like, if you would come and sought discipleship and sought wisdom and counsel before you made that decision, then you wouldn't be in this decision right now. Uh, you wouldn't be in this, this mess. So let's all be a church that welcomes accountability, welcomes people to have passport into our lives. Let's welcome correction. Let's welcome adjust, adjustment. Let's welcome discipline. It's a good word. It really is. I'm encouraging myself. In conclusion, Matthew 28, verse 18 to 20, Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. It's like, as you go, make disciples of of all ethnos is the original, which is all people groups baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you and be sure of this, I'm with you always, even to the ends of the age. Let's have the band up, please. And we're gonna sing that incredible new song and the full version, which is really a song of surrender. And I love it because we're gonna, we're gonna land with surrender in a few moments. And really, Now, we can surrender our lives to Jesus, but I think surrendering our lives to the process of discipleship is maybe a little bit different. Uh, So maybe God is calling us to to freshly surrender our lives to the process of discipleship, being discipled, being being a disciple, discipling others. I just want to encourage you with this. What does this look like? How can this play out if if we did discipleship well? Now, Jesus had a group of guys um, 12 guys, and he, hang out, he hung out for three years. Like He did a three-year discipleship program with guys. He journeyed with them regularly. And then they in turn made disciples of other people. So say if I was, if we were to follow that plan, um, if not 12 people, say if I was to, to really pray and seek God and God laid two guys on my heart, say like Eddie and Mitch. And maybe I was committed to say, right, Eddie and Mitch, this isn't gonna be a fast prayer. This is gonna be like journeying through life for three years, going out for coffee and like hanging out. We do that as a staff, get together and, and, and share and go fishing. We need to do that again. Um, but just doing life for three whole years. What would, the, 
what would the fruit of that be? And after three years, then we would see, I'd say, okay, Mitch and Eddie and myself, we'll pray and we'll get another couple of guys to do that. Um, and, And then the process would follow. Again, it's not a fast track program or an event or a course. It's just simply doing life together. So at the end of three years, we'd have three people. Me, Mitch and Eddie. It's like, how's that for a church growth strategy? Three people. At the end of six years, we'd have nine people. Like by any stretch of imagination, that's not, that's, not a, that's not like revival, is it? That's like nine people. But what if we carried on this? Again, this is like three years. It's not a fast program. It's just journeying through life. But being intentional and deliberate about making disciples. After nine years, there'd be 27 disciples. To see the whole of Whangarei City discipled, it would take 30 years. And it's like, wow, that's, that's a long time. It's not really. Christy and I have been married for 26 years and it's like we were married yesterday. If we did this again, three years, three years, I don't even know why that was funny, but people are laughing, so I'll just roll with it. Um, it's, this is like, this is easy. We can all do this. 27 disciples after 30 years, 59 disciples. The population of Whangarei City is about 55. You know, after 63 years, 10.5 billion people would be discipled. After 63, uh, the world population is projected to be 11.2 billion by the year 2100. So pretty much the whole entire population of the world, we can do this. And again, taking someone out for coffee, inviting them into their lives, doing life together for three years, just two people, we can all do this. If we're deliberate, you know, in 66 years, 31 billion people could be saved. I know you're saying, well, this is idealistic people. Simon, what about all the atheists in the world and the other faiths? I know that this is idealistic, but it gives me so much hope. And it doesn't matter how big or how small your church is. So many people shift out of the city and into the city. Discipleship and this discipleship process can continue regardless of the size of our churches. Does that make someone else excited? So this will work if every single one of us said, yes, Simon, I'm gonna surrender to discipleship. I'm gonna take the hand of Jesus and I'm gonna be covered in the dust of my rabbi and I'm gonna be led on this process and this journey of discipleship one lifetime. Jesus will build his church. We are called to make disciples, but let's be intentional. Commit to disciple, commit to be discipled, and God will set up connections. Thanks so much for listening. We hope it was an encouragement to you. To contact us or to find out what's happening at our church, please check out our website, renewchurch.nz.